How's it going, guys? <laughs> so lame. You guys should learn by now that when I say it, you might as well just go, hey, the first time. So how are we doing, guys? Hey, thank you, smart butt. Anyways, um, how are we doing? I'm glad to see you guys today. Thank you. This is our first week of Mixtape. And yes, you have to listen to me the rest of the time. Um, for those of you who came to hear Chris or Ryan, it'll get better next week. Come back, please. Okay? Um, today we're going to talk about this song. Um, it's called Typical. It's by a band called Mute Math. Any Mute Math fans in the room? Anybody? All right, sweet. They, um, yeah, they rock face. Um, and I love this song. Um, you know, this song... I don't know if you caught any of the words watching them do everything backwards. I was going to sing it, but I'm not good with post-it notes on my face like him. So um, really, the song focuses on there's, there's another level. There's something else beyond me that I can't seem to get to. And so I need to break off all the typical junk that's keeping me from getting there. Basic premise of the song. Um, so that's what he's saying, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, I'm going to focus on a text today that... Basically, it's going to give us a picture of how to live lives that matter, um, not to do the normal, not to focus on the superficial stuff around us, the boats and the golf games and how our hair looks and what shoes we have and all that junk. Um, but it's a passage that teach us, teaches us to really find meaning in life and to pursue a life that matters and makes a difference around us. So you guys with me? Yeah? Awesome. Cool. Well, let's... Um, Let's pray, and I'm just, my prayer today is that um, I'm not the most animated speaker, I'm not the guy that's going to tell a ton of jokes, um, but I pray that despite the messenger today, that God says something to you guys, because I think he has something to say to us today um, through his word. So let's, let's pray. God, we know that today you have um, something in mind for us. God, I don't know what that is, I don't know what it looks like for them. Um, God, I know what it's looked like for me, Lord, processing through um, this text, and and thinking about the song for today, Lord, I just ask that you would just help me just to kind of step out of the way and let you speak. Because, Lord, I have nothing to say um, to these people, God, but you do. So, Lord, I just pray that um, we would hear from you today, um, despite me and, and everything going on around us, Lord. We love you. Amen. Well, um, I've processed through this passage a lot. And just to be real with you guys, I'm probably the least qualified person to be standing up here to talk to you about this today. Um, because I'm processing through this really right now in my life. Um, I feel like there's a lot of this that I'm going through that I don't have the answers to. And a lot of times um, we show up to church for someone to give us the answers. Um, so I'm going to tell you what I think is the answer to some of this stuff. But I don't necessarily have the path you need to take. So hopefully today God will, um, God will speak something to you. Um, there's a quote I wanted to read to you guys. Um, it's by a guy named um, Tim Kizier. Um, and it says this, it says, our greatest fear as individuals and as the church should not be a failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. Um, this quote's hit me for some time now. I guess I heard it about two years ago. It's, it's on the wall of my office. And, you know, I don't think in life that it's that most of us don't care. I don't think it's that we don't want to affect the world around us. I don't think that it's we don't want to live good lives. I just think we focus on the wrong things. Um, you know, we can be successful um, at so many things. So many of us in this room are successful businessmen. We have doctors in this room. We have lawyers in this room. We have, um, we have cops in this room. We have soldiers in this room. We have people that work in, in legal offices um, that are successful at what they do. Um, but today, I'll, before we even start, I want to say that 
life is more than going to work and coming home. Life is more than accumulating a bunch of stuff and having boats and having a vacation house and having golf games with our friends. It's more than that. All that stuff is great, but all that stuff doesn't really matter in the course of life. It matters what we do with our life. And so that's what we're going to focus on um, today. I was thinking about an analogy just to kind of, just to kind of set up this text for today. Um, and I was thinking, like, if Michael Jordan walked in the back of the room, how many of you know who Michael Jordan is? Good, that's most of you. First service kind of looked at me. I'm like, if you don't know or you hate my face. It's one of the two, but let me know. But if Michael Jordan walked in the back of the room and he said, I just came from the gym and I played basketball with the best basketball player I've ever played against in my life, we would probably want to stop what we were doing and go in there and watch the guy play basketball, right? Because Michael Jordan is the best basketball player that's ever lived. So when he says something's good, it's time to pause and notice. Michael Jordan walked in, however, and was like, I just had lunch with a guy, and his understanding of physics and science blew my mind. (laughs) We'd probably go, yeah, dude, stick to basketball. You know, because I doubt Michael Jordan knows that much about physics. However, if Stephen Hawking, who, who knows who he is? He's a renowned physicist. Okay, cool. Just making sure I'm tracking with you guys. If he rolled up in the back of the room and said, man, I just came from the gym, and I played basketball against a guy that was amazing, we'd be like, yeah, dude, stick to physics, you know? But, however, if he came in and he said, man, I just had lunch with a guy, and his understanding of complexity theory and his integration of string and his, his mass understanding of the, of the subject of physics just blew my mind, we'd probably be like, okay, we need to go talk to this guy because there's something legit about him, right? Well, that's kind of what Solomon is um, in the Bible in regards to wisdom. Um, see, Solomon, um, Solomon asked for wisdom once. God told him pretty much you can have whatever you want, just ask me for it. So Solomon said, all right, I want wisdom. And so in this passage we're going to read, Solomon is giving us a practical, boiled down example of what wisdom lived out can do making a difference, you know, in the world around us. So this isn't just some guy we're talking to. You know, this is not some random guy in a room full of mutually ignorant people that can be a genius. You know, we can all be in a room with mutually ignorant people and talk about basketball. But when Jordan walks in the back of the room, we cease to have an opinion. So Solomon is going to talk about wisdom. Let's, um, if you want to turn in your Bibles, we'll have it on the screens. You can go to YouVersion um, on your smartphones. Um, we're going to go to Ecclesiastes 9, 13 through 16. And um, we're going to read this and see what um, Solomon has to say to us. He says, One day, as I was observing how wisdom fares on this earth, I saw something that made me sit up and take notice. There was a small town with only a few people in it. A strong king came and mounted an attack, building trenches and attack posts around it. There was a poor but wise man in that town whose wisdom saved the town, but he was promptly forgotten. All the same, I still say that wisdom is better than muscle, even though the wise poor man was treated with contempt and soon forgotten. You know, I think that Solomon, I think the reason that this stuck out to him, you know, we see Solomon that he was given so much wisdom, but it it came at really the same time as so much opportunity for Solomon. See, Solomon was the king. Solomon had power. Solomon had money. Solomon had like 700 some odd wives, which is ridiculous. I got one wife. I'm going to stop before I get in trouble. Um, She, yeah, I love you. Um, But 
I mean, this guy, you know, so he's a ladies' man, he's good-looking, he has all this popularity, and so on top of that, he gets to be the most wise person that's ever lived on the face of the earth outside of Jesus Christ himself. And so, in a lot of ways, I don't know about you guys, but I've, I've talked to the staff about this some, that it's hard for me to read a lot of what um, Solomon writes and learn from it, because I feel like I can't relate to him in a lot of ways. I feel like Solomon is that guy that's always had everything leveraged in his favor. It seems like nothing ever goes wrong for him. seems like, you know, you know those people. We hate them. Come on, let's be honest. It's the people who, you know, they they grew up wealthy, and then they invest their money. They end up more wealthy, and then they end up, you know, buying small islands for themselves and their beautiful family who have perfect teeth. Their hair never falls out or turns gray. Their babies come out born with abs, you know, flexing. and, And we hate those people. Because it's so hard to relate to them. We, we, it is. And it's, it's so hard to have discussions, at least for me, because I grew up pretty poor and I have tattoos and most people hate my face. So for me, I don't, I don't understand a lot of times um, what it takes to be in that place. And so I think what Solomon's trying to do is trying to boil it down for us so we can understand what wisdom can do. So our big idea today is knowledge without action is useless. And it goes back to what I said a minute ago. It's not that I think we don't care. It's that I think we focus on the wrong things. But I think when God does put a calling on our life and when God tells us, hey, you need to go do this, you need to pursue this life, it's not just enough to say, hey, I need to go do that. Because if we know what to go do and then don't put action behind it, then it's useless. So we're going to look at today at just some of the obstacles that I feel like that this passage brings out that keep us from living a life that matters, from pursuing the calling that God has for us. So... Um, let's, uh, let's go back and let's read that passage one more time. Um, it just says, One day I was observing how wisdom fares on this earth, and I saw something that made me sit up and notice. And that's what we're doing. Because it was a small town with only a few people in it. A strong king came and mounted an attack, building trenches, attack posts around it. But there was a poor man, but wise, in the town, whose wisdom saved the town, and he was promptly forgotten. Now, the, the first thing, at least to me, that I pull out um, from this passage is that when we decide to live a life of meaning, when we decide to do things that matter, when we decide to live um, a calling that God's given us that seems so much bigger than we are, I think the first thing that we face up to is a sense of insignificance. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I can just share personally from my life that I have always felt insignificant at everything I've done. My entire life, I can trace it back to when I was a kid. I can trace it back to a couple years ago. I can trace it back to this morning. I don't feel qualified to even stand up here in front of you guys. Um, and I don't know necessarily where that comes from, but I know that when I lead worship, you know, people are always like, man, you're so good. And I feel, I, honestly, y'all think I'm crazy, but I do not feel like I'm significant or worth enough in anything that I do. So this one, just to be real with you, is really speaking to me. Um, I relate with this guy because, you know, I feel like in a lot of ways I'm the guy in the small town um, that's poor and has nothing to offer. So this one kind of comes from a personal place with me. So sorry if it comes out jumbled because I'm processing it. Um, I heard a quote that says, um, creative people are just faking it and hoping that no one finds out. You know, I think that's true of creative people because I've met some creative people that are just full of it, you know, and you're like, yeah, you're pretty dumb. But I think that that's true for all of us. I think it's true of the human condition that I think 
when we feel insignificant, I think that when we feel like the weight of the world is on us and we can do nothing about it, I think that it's our tendency to start acting out of narcissism and arrogance and start acting bigger than we really are, acting like we have it all together, acting like we have the answers, acting like we, we're the ones who help everyone around us. Um, so, so for me, that compensation, acting, you know, like I said, narcissistic, having the arrogance and stuff, it's such an overcompensation um, when really the way to live a life that matters is to admit who we are, is to admit that, you know what, I don't have the answers. I don't have the answers. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the wisdom to know what to do. But, you know, we've all met that person. We've probably all been that person that we feel like, um, at least, I don't know, I, I think to me, I think that we've met that person that always wants to act like they're bigger than themselves. They always have to prove it. It's, it's like meeting a guy and he tells you that he was first in his class and you find out he was homeschooled, you know, um, you know and, and he was an only child. Um, and if he had a sister, he was second because chicks are always smarter. You know, you meet those guys and it's just like we're always in a constant state of proving ourselves to each other when God has already told us that we're enough. That what he sees in us and what he's gifted us to do is enough with him. And to me, that's the only way to overcome the insignificance. Is to realize the significance of one person with God. Because on our own, we're not worth much. We're not worth much at all. Um, but with God and with his calling, with his power, um, we can do pretty incredible things. You know, we see it all throughout the Bible. We see guys like Moses and Jeremiah. We see David see ladies like Deborah and we see Esther, that they were called to do such huge things, just amazingly huge things, and they never felt good enough. I mean, Moses, the guy told God, I mean, God's talking to him at a bush that's on fire but not burning. I mean, that would be the cue. Okay, I get you. But not for him. I mean, he, he looked at the bush and said, I can't have a conversation. Like, that's what he was, that, that was his excuse, is I can't speak, God, so I'm not going. Jeremiah's excuse was that he was too young. Felt too young. The people around him said he was too young. But Jeremiah was used in great ways. And the list goes on and on. The reasons that these people all felt inadequate. We see it in Hollywood. You know, Gladiator, Braveheart, Robin Hood, The Last Samurai, Tom Cruise and his flowing hair, you know. Um, we see these, these movies that, that depict the one person. The one person making a difference. They overcome odds. And so we see it in culture. But a lot of times it's so hard for us to believe as Christians that... We could actually be that one person that makes a difference in the world around us. And the next obstacle I want to talk to you guys about is our circumstances. I think, in a, at least for me, I know that on days when I, I kind of come out of that insignificance and I start to believe what God is saying about me, sometimes I look at the size of a problem and I look at what God is calling me to do, and the circumstances around me just feel so big. Like, they feel so big. It's like, it's like the poor man in the city, this king... He comes against this city, this king who's powerful. He has influence. He has all the people in the world at his service. And so he comes to this small town. We don't know why he wanted the town. Maybe it was his natural resources. Maybe it was a great military post. We don't know. But we know that this king is coming at the city. And then this man wakes up, or maybe he's struggling with it before he goes to bed one night, and he just knows that I've got to save the city. I mean, this is a guy that's worth nothing to society. This guy's the lowest of the low. He's a poor man in a small city. 
You know, he's not a big fish in an ocean. He's a, like a guppy in a puddle. Like, it's just, like, he's so insignificant that it's, you really can't put words to it. And this man wakes up and says, I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to be used. And I can't, I can't even imagine what he must have felt. The feeling of, it's so much bigger than me. And I think we face that a lot of times, too. We look at our lives. We look at the things that are around us, the problems in society. We look at the problems with our friends. We look at the problems even in our own families. And we just say, you know what? I can't do this on my own. And so a lot of times we stop. We don't continue to move forward because we just feel it goes back to the same thing, the inadequacy. But I think that the only way we can overcome our circumstances is by focusing on the overriding calling in our life. We know that God has called us to some things. And in my mind, that's the only way really that we can overcome our circumstances is by focus, our purpose, being intentional about what God's called us to do and pursuing that. You see, because the only obstacles that can really stop us are the ones that are bigger than our commitment. I'll say that again. The only obstacles or circumstances that stop us are the ones that are bigger than our commitment. You should write that down. Now. I'm kidding. Um, but it, it really, I mean, when you think about it, like I think about marriage. I, th- I think about, I, I can only relate to my wife and I. In a lot of ways, her commitment to me has been amazing. You know, we said till death do us part. We said in, you know, bad times and good and, you know, wherever the vows are. Um, I can't remember them right now. I'm on stage. Y'all give me a break. Um, but, uh, you know, we've been through some pretty tough stuff. I mean, some really crappy situations. But her commitment to me has never changed. See, the circumstance didn't dictate to her what her direction was going to be. She decided that no matter what, that her calling to me was more than that. There's times when, with Samantha, I've had to say, you know what, I'm called to love her. Despite how hard it gets, no matter what happens, no matter the circumstance, no matter how big it feels, I'm called to love her no matter what. And it's that same picture in life. And when God calls us to do something, he's equipped us to do it. And at times, I think when we don't know what our calling is, and when we don't pursue our calling, when we don't seek that life that matters and to do good, I think that every obstacle becomes a redirection. I think that, you know, things come at us and we go this way. You know, things come at us and we go this way. And this has been true for my life. You know, when stuff gets hard, so many times in my life, I've turned and said, you know what, that's too hard. I'm going to go after something easier. It becomes a redirection. So, um, yeah, the only way we overcome our circumstances is by focus on the overriding calling in our life. Um, you know, I wrote this down and it's so true. Like Mount Everest doesn't change its size, its height, or its difficulty or complexity um, for, based on the person climbing it. You know, it's always the same size. It's always just as hard. But see, it's not, it's not the circumstance. It's not Mount Everest. It's something inside the climbers that get them to the top. And it's the same thing here. That our internal motivation, our internal strength that comes from God, it has to be more than our circumstance. You know, I, I think about a hero of mine. You know, she... Um, she grew up in some horrible circumstances. Um, you know, before the age of six, she was, she was beaten. She was um, emotionally abused. She was sexually abused before the age of six. Um, and just grew up in a really, really screwed up family. Um, just some things that I, 
I just can't even imagine happening in my family. Um, she's dealt with. And, you know, she began to act out of that frustration. She was starting to do some things that just weren't good, but God got a hold of her. You know, she accepted Christ. She started living for Him, and she started understanding what her calling was to be. That she had to leave that old life and pursue something different. She got pregnant, and she had a, um, she had a little girl. And she's now an amazing mother. Um, she's an amazing wife. And whenever I think about what my wife came from, um, my heart just fills with joy because I understand, and I get to live in the metaphor every single day that somebody can overcome their circumstances to become more than what they think they are. You know, her circumstance was that she had crappy parents, crappy parents who walked out on her. By the age of eight, her mom had left and still hasn't spoken to her since. Her dad was a drug addict, left, stole everything that her grandparents had ever owned to go put it up his nose. That, that's what she grew up with, you know. And so her first tendency when times get hard is what? She, she wants to run from hard times because that's all she's seen done. You know, when Madison has a hard day, which she's been a hard, she's had a lot of difficulty so far. Her first tendency would be, okay, I've, I've got to run from this problem. I've got, I've got to just, I've got to get out of here. But see, Samantha understands that her calling is to be a good mother to Madison. She doesn't feel like a lot of times that that's a significant thing. She feels like she's given up a lot of her dreams to be a mother, just to be real with you. You know, she had to quit college. She had to quit pursuing the career that she's always wanted to do. But you know what? Bigger than a piece of stupid paper that says, hey, you're smart enough and you can graduate from our school is the fact that my wife gets to raise my daughter to be a godly woman who understands what it's like to be loved and appreciated That, that's my wife's story. I get to live that every day. Um, yeah. Our next um, obstacle um, in my mind from this text would be a lack of resources. You know, we see in Solomon's life that he always had wisdom plus everything else. This guy had wisdom minus everything else. He had nothing. I um, mean, I think a lot of times we can all hide behind that, that excuse that, well, I don't have the goods to get it done. I don't have the money, or I don't have the charisma, I don't have the looks, I don't have, you know, blah, 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 the list goes on, and we can hide behind that for our entire lives, because let's be honest, there's some of you that have more money than I'll ever have in my life, and it would be really easy for me to say, man, that person's making a difference, but if I only had a couple more thousand dollars, or if I only had this job, or if I only had this, you know, whatever, you know, we do that, and we hide behind it, but see, this man didn't hide behind it. Um, he overcame his lack of resource. The man had nothing. He overcame that to conquer a king who had everything. And, you know, in my mind, I, I, I wrote this down because I don't know if you guys feel this way or not, but I, at times I feel like everyone else is having steak and I'm eating peanuts. You feel that? Okay. Some people don't, but I do. So you get to hear about it. Um, you know, for me, I, I thought of this analogy because, you know, I feel like a lot of times I'm eating peanuts. And in those moments, I think when we feel like life has shortened us, when we feel like, you know, we've been given peanuts to eat while everyone else around us is enjoying, you know, this huge meal. I think it's times like that when we have to become like George Washington Carver. Who knows who he is? Elementary history? Yes. All right. Education system. Thank you. Um, you know, George Washington Carver, he wasn't an Edison 
He wasn't a da Vinci. He wasn't, you know, inventing things that fly and inventing submarines before toilet paper was invented. You know, this, this guy was a guy that didn't have that many resources, but he took what he could, a little, small, insignificant nut, a peanut. And he said, you know what? This may be all I have, but I'm going to figure out every single thing about this peanut, right? How many of you ever heard of a, um, it's a product called um, Plumpy Nut? Anybody ever heard of that? Good, you haven't. Um, Plumpy Nut is a, is a substance that they're now handing out in third world countries that fights starvation, malnutrition, hunger, death. I mean, you name it. The issues that they're having in third world countries with a lack of resource, a lack of food. Guess what that's made of? Peanuts. That's right. See, because George Washington Carver was resourceful. George Washington Carver used what he had to make a difference. And now his name is tied to trying to end world hunger. Something as stupid as a peanut. Probably that everyone thought around him. Like, dude, a peanut? Really? You know, I bet he would laugh now, you know? Like, yeah, it may end starvation because he took what he had and he worked with it. I mean, that's my challenge to you guys. It's a challenge to me. It's a challenge that we're facing as a church staff right now. We're honestly, like, when money goes down as a church, we don't have as many resources. And so we have to get really creative to make things happen. I just want to challenge you guys as well that, you know, a lot of times we feel shorted. But God's equipped us and he's given us what we need to make a difference. Um, And instead of being the one that we hope the world lines up for, you know, sometimes we just have to go and fight. It reminds me of the story of Jonathan and, and his armor bearer. Um, you know, Jonathan was a part of the Israelite army, and the Philistines had, had been coming at them. They were, you know, they were kicking their tails. And, you know, they, at this point, they were just kind of at a, at a stalemate, I guess. And so Jonathan's sitting around, and he could wait. He could sit around and not do anything. But Jonathan said, you know what? We're going to go pick a fight. That's obviously a Josh paraphrase. He didn't actually say those words. But he said, let's go pick a fight and see what God does. And they went. They picked a fight. Jonathan killed a ton of dudes. Everyone went nuts. Like, man, this guy's crazy. They run. And God won this. Just, I mean, just proved himself in a huge way because one guy said, you know what, I'm not going to sit here and wait around on them to come to me. I'm not going to sit around and wait on life to do something to me so I can react, but I'm going to chase after what God wants. I'm going to chase after it. And I think so many times we just wait. We wait on what God has for us, even though we know what we should do. We know, you know, we know our calling. We know what we need to pursue and we wait Because we don't feel like God has equipped us. We don't feel like, you know, blah, 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 the insignificance, you name it. But I think what God's calling us to do is go pick a fight and see what I do. Yeah. Last one we're going to talk about is pride. Um, You know, Solomon, all throughout Scripture, it seems to me he's, he's really worried about his legacy. You know, Solomon was the... I mean, you know, the only way I know, we would look at this guy and be like, dude, he's the crap. You know, I mean, he had it all together. He had everything. But Solomon was always pursuing meaning. It was the thing that eluded him his whole life. Is this guy who had everything. He had every resource in the world. He could not find meaning. He couldn't find anything to do with it all, you know? So when Solomon writes... At the end of this passage that we're looking at, that 
you know, he said he was promptly forgotten. He said, I say that wisdom is better than muscle, even though the wise poor man was treated with contempt and soon forgotten. In my mind, just as I was processing this, the only thought that could come to my head is that Solomon was really focused on public approval, but not so much on private reward. And that, that's our last point, is that, you know, I think the only way to overcome a, a pride issue and wanting to be noticed for the things we've done and be praised for the things we've done is that we have to let private reward become greater than public recognition in our lives. You see, so many of us, we equate being known, we equate fame and popularity with actually making a difference. But there's so many people that that's, that's just not true of. I mean, there's so many people in Hollywood and so many people in culture that, I mean, they're known. They have the ability to do amazing things, but they're, they're stupid, you know? They, they don't care about anything but themselves. They don't care about culture. Here's just a couple of examples of those. Um, you know, the first one should be a guy that you all know, um, Bono. He's the... Uh, Lead singer for U2, um, he's an activist, and he, found, and he was the founder of the One Campaign. Um, if you haven't heard of the One Campaign, it's a really, really cool deal. Um, Bono just kind of said, you know, we've, we're dealing with the hunger thing, we're dealing with the clean water thing, but what we haven't yet addressed as a society is the AIDS issue in Africa. He said, it's, it's the dirty issue, it's the issue that no one wants to do anything about, so I'm going to start a foundation to try and wipe AIDS off the face of the earth. And you know what? They're doing an awesome job. This is, this is just an example of a guy that is known, that's using his celebrity to make a difference. In contrast, though, this next guy, um, this is a rock star doing mixtape. That's, yeah, that's Brett Michaels, and he's an idiot. Um, you know, I, I think of a couple things when I look at this picture. I think, one, it would do him some good to cut his hair. The other thing is... That cowboy hat is ridiculous. And the other thing is your music really wasn't that good. Every Rose Has Its Thorn is probably the worst song ever written. So you're an idiot, pretty much. So, yeah, hopefully you agree. If I'm sorry if you're his aunt and you're here today. Um, I don't like him. Um, but here's some people you probably haven't heard of. Um, Katie Davis. She's in her early 20s now. And I wrote 13 on there. I was actually researching it late last night after I'd already gotten it done. She's actually adopted a 14th girl, all in Africa. She's in her early 20s. She lived in Brentwood, right outside of Nashville. And at the age of 19, she moved to Africa. She left an, an affluent community. She left the money. She left everything that she had her entire life to move to Africa to adopt girls and give them the life that only she could give them. That's, that's a big deal, and I guarantee you most of you have never even heard her name. But she's making a difference. Here's another guy. You may know this guy. We've done some work with one of his charities, um, Scott Harrison. How many of you have heard Scott Harrison? Okay, a couple of you. Um, Scott Harris, Harrison, um, he started Charity Water. Um, you know, most people don't know his backstory that do know him, but, you know, he was, he was popular. He made a, just a killing. He made tons of money being a promoter. He um, basically promoted clubs. He threw parties and got people drunk. That's what he did for a living. And this guy had it all. Everybody knew him. And you know what? When the reality that there was people dying just because they don't have clean water hit him, he, he couldn't be the same. He couldn't be the same anymore. And so what he did was walk away from a life 
in which he had everything. I mean, by the world's standards, he was a rock star. This guy had everything, and he walked away from it all to start a charity that digs wells and gives people proper sanitation and gives people proper drinking water. Most of us have probably never heard his name, especially, I mean, two years ago, we'd never even known who he was. You know, we have to let private reward become greater than public recognition. And that, that's my question for you today, is why, why aren't you doing what God wants you to do? Why, why aren't you pursuing what God wants you to do? I've asked myself this question several times. This is not me pointing a finger. You know what, God has, God's called me to do some stuff, and I've said, no, I'm not going to do it. You know, I think that this issue may be a little bigger to us than we know, because I think a lot of us, we, we just equate being known to making a difference. But public recognition is never more important than private reward. You know, the poor man in this story, I doubt that at the end of his life, he was laying on his deathbed and he was hacked off because no one knew his name. You know, he didn't have to save the city, but he did. He used his resources. He came, overcame his insignificance and his circumstance. And he was okay with private reward being enough. And he made a difference. He fought this king off that apparently no one could. All because he was willing to set those things aside. Just to close, um, as we just said, he didn't let his insignificance hold him back. His circumstances didn't hold him back. His lack of resources didn't, didn't make him stand still. And you know what? I just don't think his arrogance got in the way where he wanted public recognition. And it's just my prayer for you guys today um, that despite the presentation, despite what I've said, that God has said something to you and that we could use this text uh, to examine our own lives, to examine our motives, examine why we may not be moving. And so um, that's my prayer, is that today this wouldn't just be um, you here listening to the tattooed guy rant and rave about making a difference, but that you would literally take this and chew on this this week and, um, and figure out the things inside of you that need to move so you can really be used by God to your maximum capacity. Um, let's pray.